Welcome to the Orion Podcast, hosted by Jessa and Laurel of A Stellar Co., a podcast that connects you with the knowledge and resources you need to drive a more conscious form of capitalism. Orion starts now. Hey, Jessa. <laughs> Would you like to introduce our guest today? Yes, we have improv experts, Amy and Jess. <laughs> Welcome. Thanks for What constitutes us. an expert is yeah. my question. <laughs> You've well, done it more than me. Tell us about okay. <laughs> so this is how one of our other podcasts started. Few weeks ago, we introduced someone. Or James is a professional comedian, and yes. everyone's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" It's like too much pressure. So we'll just start introducing everybody. You <laughs> listen to our we, podcast. How do we know these professional expert, top of the game, goat improv, improv people, Jessa? <laughs> well, I met Jeff and Amy, um, probably over three years ago. I think now three yeah. and a half. Yeah. Almost. 2017. Was, uh, J- January 2017. It's a cold, rainy night at San Diego. We we're walked into this room by a hotel <laughs> and took our first improv class together. So I was trying to remember, I think there were like 15 or 16 of us in that first class. Yeah. And um, we had a great time and we just we all signed up for one class and then another and another, and then a handful of us, next thing you know, three and a half years later, are still amateur improvisers. <laughs> <laughs> Speak for yourself. I am the expert. <laughs> well, Amy, as the expert. Yes. Well, as the expert. Well, um, yeah, I think what would be fun, can you give us a little bit of background on yourself, like what you do and what attracted you to improv to walk into that first class? Sure. Um, by day, I'm an office manager for a financial services firm. <laughs> and uh, and I think back then I was really just looking for a challenge. I've always enjoyed like humor and thought I was one of the funny gals in my group of friends or with family and stuff like that. So I thought, oh, let me see if I can like challenge myself a little bit and see if not only I think I'm funny, but maybe I could be funny out there in the real world and um, had heard a lot about improv. And actually, my brother, who's an actor, um, strongly suggested it. He had done some improv classes at Second City in L.A. and thought of, he said he thought of me immediately, thought it would be fun. So it was around the holidays. I'm like, let's just do it. My New Year's resolution. So, yeah, January 2017, walked into class with all of you fools. And it was, you know. The beginning of a wonderful relationship. <laughs> Jeff, same question. Yeah. Um, so I'm a local uh, sales director, have a few different departments, and training is really important for us. And a few years back, I was trying to think of something that would be, you know, a productive. Um, that would be good for their sales skills. And then also some that I just thought would be fun. Like for me, I like to have fun. I, I, you know, work hard, but I don't take myself too serious at the end of the day. And I don't know how like improv kind of popped in my mind. And I was like, with a very vague understanding of it, I was like, well, it seems like it's about thinking on your feet and it's about being in uncomfortable situations. And that's really a lot of what sales is. So when I work with got me connected with, uh, a local improv teacher, Gary Ware. We brought Gary in to do a training for three hours. The first 30 minutes were the most uncomfortable 30 minutes I've ever seen because a lot of people don't understand the difference between improv and stand-up comedy. So people were like, am I going to have to like do a stand-up? Like, what, let's write a bit. And then I was funny. I was looking through the pictures the other day and we're doing things like we're building a bridge or like here's an object, do something with it. And after three hours, the people who were so reluctant and the people who were like kind of nervous, everyone had a blast with it to the point where we've individually done more training with Gary and other departments have. And I went up to him afterwards and like being a fan of SNL and just all these different comedy shows growing up. I was like, that was so much fun. He goes, well, 
if you like this, you should sign up for these classes. And he sent me the info. I never did it. Every time class openings were happening, he sent it to me and finally was like, all right, I'm doing this. I got to do this. And kind of like Amy said, like, I thought it would be seven weeks. I didn't realize that the second or third week we'd be performing. Um, <laughs> sure enough, we were doing our first Greenhorn. And Greenhorn. it was the best. Yeah, Greenhorn. Yeah, uh, it was the best. So that's. That's how I got into it. And reality is, is it was, I still remember sitting around and, and with Amy and you and, and it feels like Susan, it was so interesting to hear the, the reason why people wanted to do it. Like, Hey, I'm trying to get my comfort zone. Uh, I'm afraid of speaking in public or whatever it may be. And for me, I had a really like quasi traumatic public speaking experience as a, as a child. And I think my wow. mindset ever since then has been like, all right, like nothing is going to get worse than that. So like, I've never, I've got very little shame. So for me, it wasn't about that. I was like, this is just seems like a really fun thing to do. And that's really all it was for me looking for something to do after work that wasn't sitting on the couch and suddenly fun. So it's, it's all lived up to that. What would you guys say to someone who we were speaking with just a few moments ago that was like, this is the, my worst fear my worst nightmare is going to improv. Why would anyone do this? You know, you obviously had the little bit of an inkling and the funness to do it. What would you say to somebody that's deathly afraid? I think, um, I don't know. The way, anytime I watch improv or do it, it seems like how are they coming up with this? And there is like, don't get me wrong. It's a very challenging thing to do. But the way you learn it, like once you understand the core principles, it's like, oh, that kind of makes sense. Like it's everyone being aligned is such an important thing. And I think from the classes we did, well, yeah, they kind of threw us in the fire. Like they found baby steps, right? Like it wasn't the first time we performed. It wasn't just us. It was us and one of the teachers. So they're giving us layups and they're, they're just making it really mm -hmm. easy for us. I also, and I don't know if anyone else feels this way. I feel like early on, you kind of get the pity laughs like all right and down, deep down you're like that really wasn't that funny but people are laughing i don't care like and you just kind of build confidence off that but i don't know like for me like i said like i i've never had that concern after uh that that fun incident as a child and i'm more than happy to speak about that if you guys want to know but uh yeah, yeah. you want to know yeah Bring all it. right so in fifth grade i was running for uh student body president and they're really hardcore about it. Like you had to memorize your speech. You couldn't just like bring it up there and read it or at least have it as a safety net. And like a few days before, I remember I'm going to throw my dad on the bus a little bit here. He goes, I think we should change your speech. So we changed it. And I, I remember like the first, it was all about like a magical school where like these amazing things are going to happen. So like the first line was like, imagine a school where, and in front of the entire school. Wow, that is a great cry on down there. Thanks so much. Uh, and in front of the entire school, I froze up. And I cried in front of the entire school. And then I had to sit up there. And I kept like, do you want to try again? And he went, I don't want to do it. So I had to sit there. And it was just like the worst. And I think... I'd ever, I don't think like I ever thought about it, but it was just kind of like, that was the worst thing that could ever happen, public speaking. I, I, if, I can't imagine going lower than that. So it's only going to get better. <laughs> I think that's always the perspective that I have. So that's perfect, really, Jeff, because you really your fear got, moments. your fear got totally wiped out at that age. And I feel like you have no fear now. Like you've, you're able to just come on stage or, you know, be around people and bring your genuine you without kind of feeling any anxiety. What I was thinking of Laurel when you were asking that question was um, I think there's fear because people might not know improv. They have ideas of what it is and they think you have to go on stage and tell a joke. And really it's not that. I mean, I think that's kind of what I thought I had to like go be funny, but in reality, you're just going with a group of people and kind of taking what is brought out with a group of people. And it, you don't have to tell jokes or, you know, try to be funny. You just have to support your teammates and whatever comes out naturally is what's potentially funny and stuff. So 
Um, I think some people have a fear because they think you have to go and be like a stand-up comic and, and say jokes and make people laugh intentionally. But really, it's not about that. It's about like listening and bringing the authentic you, however it comes out. Which is funny to say yeah. that because so many people I feel like we started with were so nervous. And I think of like Susan, for instance. Yeah. And she's like one of the most like she went from like super reserved to just like I'm gonna say whatever and do these crazy characters. So it's super cool to see those evolutions of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that is like what both of you just said is a really key point is about trust. And because you learn to rely on your teammates and know that they have your back. And like you said, Jeff, too, it's like your very first performance as a student, at least at where we did classes. I mean, we did not expect to have a show like three or four weeks into doing this and everyone was terrified, but it's like, I remember them saying like, you're up there with like a trained improviser, like a coach, like they will not let you fail. Like you could just sit up there and not talk and it's still going to be funny because they will make it funny. And I think that's something for me, like I'm that person, Amy, that you described was like, oh, like, yeah, I'm, I'm funny. My friend said I'm funny. Um, I guess I'll go do this. And <laughs> And my goal, I remember them saying, like, why do you want to, why do you want to do improv? And I said, well, I want to be a better listener. 2017 was my year of listening. It was a terrible idea. Never again. This is why I talk all the time now. I did it. It was a disaster. People shared way too much, got way too vulnerable, way too personal. I'm like, I can't carry this anymore. Like, just everybody stopped. But I learned <laughs> I learned that probably yeah that um it was like so much more than being funny I mean, I'm not good at improv I, I mean oh I don't want to say I'm not good at improv it is not a strength of mine let me put it that way there's a lot of room for growth but it is so much about like exposing yourself and like trusting that someone else is going to be there to like you're oh, I can't believe we haven't said this yet the whole like foundation day one of improv is yes and and that is when they teach you, it's that you go into class. And so if I like walk up to Jeff and I'm like, hey, man, our mom like really sucks. And you're like, what? Like, I'm I'm not your brother. Like, I'm I'm your schoolmate. And you're like, oh, well, then they make you look it can make you look dumb. But so they teach you like day one. It's like, no, you just roll with it. Whatever they say. You, yes. And like, oh, yeah, our mom does suck. Sorry, happy Mother's Day. But um <laughs> And then you learn that. And then it's like, you're all in this together. And especially when you take classes and you're all sorry, and everyone's feeling the same. We're all scared. And we're all like, why, why did we do this? This seemed like such a good idea when I wrote down my new year's resolution. Um, but then you learn and you, you learn to trust each other. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, or sorry. Yeah. Like I, saying said, that- I, I, care, I don't care to listen anymore. So I'm just trying to talk as much as possible. <laughs> I feel like that's key for, for business. Jessa introduced me to improv because um, she was vice president of the company we were working for. And I was a director and she had a really outgoing personality. And she told me she was doing improv. And I was like, what? I should do this. And you were like, you should do this. You should do this. And so I went to, I think it was Finest City, wasn't it? I went to Finest City. And the first class was a yes and experience. And it changed my view of my professional relationships, my personal relationships and everything. And I will go ahead and expose that yes and is part of one of the themes for my marriage this year. It's let's come from a place of yes and build on it. And it's been so much fun. Yes and is critical. That's so great because I what I realized, especially that first uh, class session that we did, like the first six week program is how much I know but in my life like that was like the loudest thing when I realized what yes and really looks like I went back to my home and thought okay I think I like put my hand up and no but I'm home a lot and then at work I think I'm one of those people that like you know when a good idea comes out I'm like yeah but and that to me was like the loudest was how much I don't use that in my day-to-day life. And so that's been something that I'm trying to practice too. But it, it's kind of like in my core, I was built as a no-but person. So 
Um, That's fascinating. You said the the butt part because we learned <laughs> we learned in one of our business boot camps that when you are trying to be gen- well, when you are genuine with the person <laughs> and someone else, and you're you're respecting what they have to say. Um, any if you use the word but, anything that came before it is negated. Mm-hmm. So it's like I really appreciate hearing your point of view, but I want to tell you blah blah blah. And it's like, well, you don't really appreciate their point of view because mm-hmm. you. Just You've just slashed it. So uh-huh. if you say, I really appreciate your point of view and I'd like to share with you X, Y, and Z, uh-huh. it is a nuance. It's a subtle change and it's so meaningful. Yeah, for me, honestly, my biggest challenge improv early on is that I'm inherently a very competitive person. So I wanted to be the one who got the most laughs. I wanted to be the one to like be the funniest person there. And what I realized is I'm really only as funny as the people I'm on stage with. Like you very rarely, I feel like we'll watch it where it's like, at least at the level we were at, I feel like where it's like, all right, there is a two people on stage right now. And there is a, just like a very differing level of talent. It's because you're only as good as the person you're with. And, and on the business side, I remember I had an early mentor say like, when you're collaborating with someone, someone's bringing an idea to you. And it's funny, I never made this connection to improv don't start with but start with and build on their idea because it's also at least for me and what I do I have a lot of young sales reps and it's hard to think of an idea or to execute an idea without the full view of things right so like I have a bigger scope of what's going on in our company than they may have so it's important they bring things up to me that if it's really a but because it's not really something they have knowledge on because of their experience level I have to encourage that behavior because as they grow, it's important that I nourish their mindset to bring ideas to me because the more I say but earlier on or ixnay it, then they're less encouraged to bring things up over on. So for me, I realized, especially with younger employees of mine, I, I really try to just even like sometimes like this is the worst idea. Like what? No, like this is terrible. <laughs> I'll find the right way, but you have to, I'd rather encourage that thought now. So I don't miss out on opportunities later on. Maybe someone's a little more senior. We'll we'll be a little more straight with each other, but like, it's still building on the idea because it's coming from a good place. And that's what Jessa was saying earlier, her, her year of listening. For me, I feel like that's the biggest challenge is, especially in improv, you're forced to really listen and know what's going on. And, They always tell you, try not to think about what your next line is because then you're not listening or present. So it's one of those moments you're on stage for two minutes, five minutes, 20. You have to be fully present and aware of what's going on. And you really shouldn't have your mind going. You just have to kind of like unlock it and keep it open. Mm -hmm. Um, So it, it forces you at that point in time to just be there. And those are the best scenes we did. When it was literally just that reaction, we remember cat calling me out one time because she saw me like whispering, like, "Hey, no, 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 no." First of all, it's not improv; you can't do that. <laughs> like you're missing out on things going on, on stage that allow for those callbacks that people appreciate so much. Yeah, I, I, especially in business meetings, whether it's executive or, or like you mentioned with uh, some of the new staff that you're working with coming from a place of yes and building upon other ideas has been crucial to opening people up. There is, I've learned through a stellar co and execute innovation and all the work that we've done is everyone has different personalities. And I know they tell you this when you're young, that everybody's different and everybody has different likes and wants and needs. But then when you really drill down into it, everyone has a different personality. So some people aren't going to, want to contribute their very clever, very smart, very relevant, important business ideas, unless they feel like someone's going to hear it. And people aren't going to signal to another person that they're hearing something if all they're saying is, but, or no, I know, but no, but, or no, no. And it's kind of like, well, yes, I hear what you're saying. And what do you think about this point? And for me, that has been crucial in addressing my personal fears of being shut down. I, I, before I went to improv, I really hated being rejected and shut down in a conversation. And now I just, I see it totally differently. Yeah. I think it's kind of spinning off that it's, it's 
when you get to the next, when you start like really expanding upon that, it gets that much better when you understand the strengths and the weaknesses of people. Like that way, when you have an idea, it's easier for you to say like, all right, I know this person is really talented, but I don't think this idea really meshes what their skill sets is. And, and for those who don't know improv, the way it works usually is you'll go on, you'll tag someone out and eat and you'll kind of end the scene to start a new one. And either one of two things will happen either a, someone on the other side or with you will just walk out without you knowing or B you'll call someone out. And the, what was so fun about our group was that you learn where people are comfortable and where you can push things. So like Jessa was like, what made us really funny was that she was a little more drier. Like she played a little bit of that, that straighter person when you're kind of having like two, two people and one's being a foil, but because she was kind of dry in her approach, when she would make these over the top lines and kind of the deadpan way, it came across so much further. So I knew if I was working with Jessa, I can do a certain type of scene with Amy. I always joke with her, like she would play these like super like raunchy characters, but she was really good at <laughs> a clean show, Jeff. Prove it. I didn't I didn't say any of the words that you said. All right, Amy. <laughs> uh, but I knew like she would do these really big characters, and I knew like, you know both of us were raised Jewish. So it's like, I, she would do like, a, we could both go up there and do like the Jewish mother bit. Right. Or she, it, it, but you just, you, once you understand people's strengths and weaknesses, it allows you to put them in a much better position to succeed, especially when you match it with that yes and mentality. Like there are certain things that maybe bring up with Amy, but if it was Tommy, someone else in a group really wouldn't work the same way because that's not where Tommy's strengths lie. So I think that's just so important. You get a, really good understanding of where people's strengths and weaknesses are and where their comfort levels are. Cause you also don't want to go out there and put someone in an uncomfortable position based on something that's a little more blue that they're not that, comfortable with. That feels like you're, that's key tips for management and, mm -hmm. and, and healthy relationships in the, in the workplace. It seems like everybody needs to go take an improv class so you can learn how to support and listen Totally. Yeah, I think everyone should completely. And Amy, you used it in the workplace, right? Like, what was your experience? With yeah, well, we've we brought a few classes in. Actually, one of our instructors happens to work with me, so I recruited him to teach a few classes. And it was interesting the mix of people that attended. Some people you would think, again, we're kind of putting our prejudices out there, like, "Oh my god, I can't believe they're coming to this class." Um, so it was just a variety of people that came together, but you know, it's what we've experienced our improv class. You put them together for 90 minutes and you put these kind of wacky situations around them and you immediately bond. And even if it's just from the situation only, like the things you create in an improv class are so unique. You can never recreate them. You can never recreate those stories. I mean, whether it's, you know, it, I, I can't even, it's, they're almost like dreams. Like you create random dreams where things just kind of follow these weird paths and you're just like, wow, we'll never be able to do that again. So you kind of have to like throw that away and then you start anew. So it's kind of beautiful how like you create these unique things that you don't ever need again. Um, so it was, it was great to bring this like random group of people together that we all work with, but not on the same team, but in the same company and kind of break down some walls or prejudices you might have of others. And then on my team personally, um, I, you know, one of the things that has been like eye opening for me is I've learned to um, kind of bring my humor to the table again. I think for so long I've been trying to be professional and, you know, like <laughs> just kind of act something that wasn't totally me, but me in a sense, but kind of like my shell and what improv helped me do because I'm a manager. I have a team of five and it's helped me kind of say, okay, I can bring more of my genuine self and that's what my team wants. And if I bring that out, they're going to feel like they can be their genuine selves. So kind of opening that door for me has helped open the door for the team to kind of loosen up, relax. And, um, and I realized like you can have humor at work as long as it's appropriate. Um, you know, it's healthy and it kind of breaks down barriers. And so to me, that was kind of one of the big takeaways I've had is, like you can be funny, you can be yourself and it doesn't mean you're not professional or smart or capable of doing your job. 
So. Yeah. I think what you said is something that I actually remember talking about with XQ on our podcast about like the business of people and, um, you know, about authenticity and being genuine in the workplace. And I think this is an assumption, but I think a lot of it is based on people being afraid, like you said, being seen as unprofessional or HR laws, because especially when you're at a bigger company, it's like, you're so worried about saying something inappropriate and someone taking it the wrong way and, you know, having that become an HR issue. And so it's like finding that line where you're not making people uncomfortable (laughs) and also being able to be comfortable and be yourself. And, um, you know, I wouldn't say not be censored because of course, uh, you know, we're, we all, there's, yeah, I should say we all, a lot of us probably need to rein it in, but I think that it's something that for me, and I think especially earlier in your career, um, as like, you know, when you're first becoming a manager, you're first in a leadership position, I think it's probably on your mind a little bit more. And for me personally, it's like, as time and years have passed, um, I become more relaxed with that where I'm like, oh, okay. Like I get it. Like I, I'm kind of understanding why I can, like you said, bring out more of my personality rather than being like, this is not HR protocol. This is not okay. Like company robot. I mean, we went so far as to incorporate humor into our core values at Estellarco. It was a conscious decision, very purposeful decision that we made because we said we're not in the life and death business. Uh, nothing that we do is that serious. We're really in in the business of helping people enjoy their work and feel fulfilled doing it. So we incorporated humor into it and um in our business boot camp, we got some feedback about how people would take that really the wrong way. And they would think that you're not taking their business seriously, their time seriously, that they're wasting their energy and their time with you and that everything's just a joke to you. And we felt so strongly about it. It Humor needed to be a part of our core values because it, it adds the levity to um, a, a people's relationship with work and money, which is kind of a it's a tough, hard thing for some cultures to talk about their relationship with how they treat money and how they ask for it and how they earn it and value that. And if you keep it light and you build upon what they're saying, it makes them feel comfortable and they go, okay, I, I am valuing this. I'm going to get paid to do this work. I'm going to ask to get paid to do this work, or I'm going to pay somebody else to do this work because they're not afraid that they're that everything is so serious and it's life or death. And if I don't ask this client to pay for my services, the whole world's going to blow up and explode and they're going to hate me and no one's going to love me. Well, let's just not take anything really that seriously. Hence improv helps you be more calm and cool and confident in your approach to business. I think. Well, it's funny you say that because you know, in this day and era, like there's so many more options that are available to people on whatever product they're choosing to go with, right? Like it's, there's so much more competition going on right now in every line of business. And I think one thing, like, it's so funny what I, and a line of work I'm in, like people always talk about, we got to get millennials. How do we get millennials? And like being a millennial, I'm just seeing these conversations. Like, no, you guys, you guys are wrong. It's like, it's not about like, there's crazy discounted rates or anything like right? it's, it's about creating an experience. Like people want that Instagramble moment. They want something like they're willing to pay more if there's value, but not only value in the product, but in the relationship with their client. Like you always see things on Twitter, cancel this company. Like this is the end of this company based on they say it's because they don't have that personal connection with it. And if you're dealing with money with people, like think about it, your closest friends are the people you're silliest with the people that you laugh the most with the people that you don't do that with are not, you're not close with them. So obviously you're not always going to become best friends with your clients or your prospects, but if you're not true to who you are, they're going to see that if you're not willing to have fun with them, they're not going to feel that connection with you. And when you have to have those tougher conversations, those are going to be tougher because that relationship is not built there. Um, I know this is the only and the best podcast out there. So I apologize for referencing another podcast. However, I was listening to this other one the other day. I apologize. Mute, mute, Uh, mute, mute. (laughs) 
I was listening to one with uh, Steve Kerr, who's the coach of the Golden State Warriors, and then Pete Carroll's the coach of the Seattle Seahawks, and it's all it's his leadership podcast. And they were both were talking about their core tenants with their teams is joy. Like joy was a word they always used because at the end of the day, they're playing, right? But it's like, if you don't play with joy, you're not going to really enjoy what you're doing and then you're going to get burnt out quicker. And I think that's why it's so important not only have joy in the workplace and finding those right lines you guys were talking about, but also have joy with your clients and prospects because I don't know, the world's too complicated and too dark of a place at times not to have a little bit of fun. Like, mm-hmm. be ridiculous. I love that you said my confines. <laughs> yeah, joy, because Jess and I were trying to think, okay, so like if you look at our core values of humor, it's like slash joy, slash enjoyment, slash comedy of life, slash like be light. <laughs> like there's many ways of saying it, but you nailed it. It's like we're we're all playing this game. We're all playing it. And it's supposed to be fun. It's mm-hmm. supposed to be fun to win and it's fun to lose. And it's fun to win, 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 and where everybody gets a win. It's These things are fun and enjoyable. And I think that that's where business, the future of business, especially if you want to attract that that millennial workforce, they need to see this as a, a contribution to enhancing the quality of life and the yes. enjoyment of it all. Otherwise, I mean, I think oftentimes some millennials get put into this box of being really demanding and they don't earn something and they just are asking for um, the moon without earning it and expecting the moon without earning it. And I, I'm a millennial, so I can speak on behalf of all of us. I lovingly disagree. I think they're just wiser to knowing what they want and what they desire. And it's been very, very difficult for previous generations to say what they want because they don't really know. And I think when it boils down to it, people just want to enjoy themselves. And they want to make money being able to do that and live like, live like a easy, comfortable life. As a baby boomer, just kidding. I'm not a baby boomer, <laughs> um, but not in the millennials, a couple generations past that. But I agree with you, Laurel, because honestly, I think our generation is, I mean, the older generations are jealous that the younger generations <laughs> have a more laser focused idea of what they want. They're not going to take crap either way. Sorry, Jessa. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and so it, it's, it's kind of, and maybe that's why improv has blown up more because it's kind of like giving another format or a voice to that younger generation um, where they can kind of have another way to speak out a little bit. But I agree with you. I think I, it's it's sad to hear the especially in boardrooms like like Jeff said. How do we get the millennials on board? Or they're so different from us. They want this. Um, I I think it's I think it's probably just a different way of doing business. And and the older generations aren't used to it and feel threatened. And um, I don't know. Maybe it's their comfort zone, so they're just a little worried of what's next. So yeah, that's actually I think. I think I should know this, but I'm pretty sure it's on our website that like our tagline for Stellar Co is like, we do business differently. It's something that we say because it is a different approach. And I think what you said, Amy, is really interesting about like millennials having like that laser focus and knowing what they want. I think it's different because so there's been so much advancement and technology advancement and that it's, I'm technically a millennial. I call myself a millennial grandparent. It's like, there's so many options because you think with like, obviously with cell phones, like you can work anywhere now. And whereas like, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you needed to be in an office eight to five and that office needed to be in the town where you lived in. And like, now I'm like, you could buy a plane ticket from your phone and get like a cheap flight somewhere and then get an Airbnb or couch surf and go travel the world like really easily. Like there's a lot of flexibility with how you can create your lifestyle. And before it was just very, you're, you're much more limited. I mean, everyone was like to some extent. And now it's like the world, the world's our oyster. Or, or True. Virus but it is oyster. The gener- that generation, the millennials are like a yes and generation. It's kind of like they don't take no for an answer. 
It's funny. Yeah, I was just having this conversation. Go ahead. Yeah. No, it's, I was just having this conversation with someone a few days ago where I was talking about like a seller co and working on another business. Um, I'm not ready to talk about it yet. Or I don't know. Shirt sauna. I'm super excited. And I was talking to someone about this and, um, and he's like in a place in his career and he's very, you know, am I, is this career, like it's his career choice. And he's like, is this bringing joy to me? Is this what I want? And I was, I was talking about myself. I'm like, well, I realized that there's all these other things I want to do. So I just realized that one day you just have to do it. Like no one's going to do it for me. I, it might not work out. He's like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you took that risk. Like that's, he's like, you're much more like, you know, risks, uh, whatever, a risk taker than I am. I'm like, what me? No, I would never call myself a risk taker. But then I look around at some other people um, who have a little bit more structure and stability in their lives. I'm like, oh, maybe I am. Like, you know, it, I'm not going to jump out of a plane, but, you know, I'll quit my job and make a, a shirt steamer. <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to add your, your point, build on your point about millennials being the yes and generation. And I think um, baby boomers have that in them. They just didn't know it was a thing that could be valued in the workplace. So like we talk about this on a seller call all the time about traditional capitalism, where it's profit driven, maximizing profit is like breathing for a business. This is what we have to do, uh, take care of our shareholders. And that was their focus. And now we live in a different world of benefit corporations, of the movement as business is a force for good. And a component of that business model includes social value. And many can see that as social impact value. Okay, I'm going to donate a portion of my top line revenue to a social or economic development program. But it's also an internal social value that you bring to the workplace. It's um, who in your team is, I, to use a cliche phrase, the cheerleader. Who is going to motivate and pump people up to shine, to be the best selves? If you don't have one of those people, you're lacking a significant portion of your value chain. Because people that add the social value to the business, like to Jeff's point, help the bonding, help the relationships, build that foundation of a company. I mean, a company are just people. To XQ Innovations podcast with us, business is people. It's not just profit. It's people for sure. And of course, we're going to tack on the environment portion of there because that helps take care of people too. But at the end of the day, this yes and generation is just expressing what was suppressed in previous generations, but everybody has it and wants it. Thoughts? <laughs> no, I mean, it's funny. I just read this book with my team. I believe it was called Mindset. And um, you're just talking about having an open mindset and a closed mindset. And I've always thought of myself as someone with an open mindset. Like, I'm open to new ideas. I'm open, like... I'm open to people doing whatever they want to do as long as they're not harming those around them. And, and what I do, it's a lot of it is recruiting. A lot of it is finding new talent. And I've kind of had like four key crap categories that I've always said, if these people have all these or big chunk of these, I want to hire them. And it's, it's, and I think this is what it really takes to be successful in sales. And it's, it's charismatic. It's, it's being humble and not humble in the sense that like, I don't want accolades, but humble in the sense that like, you don't know what you don't know and you can't find unless you ask. So you're going to be humble enough and yourself to know, like, I need, I have more, I need to learn. I have more people I need to reach out to. I need to ask questions. Uh, so it's, it's humble, it's charismatic, it's hardworking and it's charismatic. And the reason I came to those four criteria was, you know, a lot of people we hire fresh out of college or, you know, a few years removed from college. And my mindset was, I think you either have those, you're either born with those things or you kind of learn them through adolescence you're probably not going to learn to be charismatic later on in life. You're probably not going to learn to be hardworking later on in life. And that was always my mindset. And after I finished reading this book, I kind of had this mindset skills, open-mindedness on skills, but kind of a closed mindset on uh, personality traits or character, things like that. And what I've realized, and especially I think as I'm thinking about improv now, what you're just saying, like, it's true. I think people can learn those things. It's going to be maybe a little more difficult for them because if you start 
all the way over here and you try to get here. I'm so thrown off on the camera right now. You guys get what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, the progress may take longer and you have to have the mindset that you want to go do those things. But I agree. Like one of the more unique things about our, about our group that we're in is I'm not going to name ages, but we had a wider range of ages and where people are in their life. And as we saw their improv classes, we saw people in college, we saw, we worked with some people for a while that were definitely a bit older than us. And, um, but they could still do it, right? Like, and they were doing it to get out of their comfort zone. So I think it just takes a will and a desire and a trust that you can, because I think the biggest thing is the fear of I'm not capable of doing this. Yeah, maybe you're not going to become Wayne Brady, but like you can learn certain skills and you can get better at it. I think that's part of the fear of why people don't sign up is like, I'm not naturally funny. Well, of course you're not. You have to learn these skills. Like I've been paying a lot more attention to stand-up comedy recently. And if you watch someone like Seinfeld, and I haven't watched his new stand-up special, but like the amount of work that that guy has put in over the years to hone his craft, he wasn't just born with that. He probably had some natural skills to begin with, but like no matter where you are at your point in life, you can learn something new. It just depends on your desire and willingness to do so and your belief that you're capable of doing so. This is interesting because um, we talked about this with James Schrader, who's a comedian. He was on our podcast a few weeks ago and he didn't start stand-up comedy, I think, until he said he was 30. He started and he had like a big career shift, was kind of like a desk job type thing. And then one day it was just like, this isn't what I want to do. And I mean, if 30 is young, like in your lifespan, but when you're changing careers and deciding to be a stand-up comic, um, you know, you're little, some people started, you know, when they're in high school. Right. And you, Jeff, brought something up that reminded me, I'm trying to get this saying to stick. I'm like, Beyonce didn't become Beyonce overnight. Like, it's so easy to look at these people like Seinfeld, Beyonce, whoever, hopefully one day, Jessa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, why can't we I We pray that? for Jessa. <laughs> you did, and it worked. <laughs> Mono, and I missed their graduation for improv. And you, they renamed the team Pray for Jessa, and it worked. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, but you look at these people, and you just see the, you see the fruits of their success, but you don't see all the work that goes into right. it. And it's so easy to envy them or to like get down on yourself and be like, oh, why did, why can't I be like that? Like, why can't I? You know, like, I'm a good singer. I'm a funny person. Like, I'm smart. Like, why can't I be that? And it's like, oh, you're missing out on a lot of the steps it takes to get there. In, in life, people in society, people tend to praise the naturally talented more than those who work the hardest to get there. Because part of it is those who are naturally talented, it's just like, holy, like, that is just above and beyond anyone else. So there's this this kind of freak factor almost with it you don't see all the work that goes into how they got there and i don't know obviously i'm a sports guy but like as you if i was been watching the last dance that bulls documentary you look uh, yeah. at you know yeah. jordan was cut from you know varsity as a sophomore dennis rodman played at a community college and he didn't like leave school until like 2024 20, scotty pippen was a walk-on as a uh, like a towel boy at his college and then he grew seven inches and things change. But like, it's you don't understand the path to greatness because you don't often see it. And anyone can get to a certain level if they're willing to put the work in. Yeah. And it's the whole 10,000 hours philosophy, if you will. It's like it takes 10,000 hours to master anything. So I break that down. My math. It's like about full time, like a 40 hour work week is a little, it's like about 2,100 hours. It's actually 2,080 hours a year. And so it's about five years. So if there's something you want to do or something you want to change, like, and you, you optimistically think you got five years left. No, you know, you, there's time to do it. And even if you are like in a career or you might be quote, like you think too old or even too young for that matter, like you don't think you you're ready yet. Like if, you have that 10,000 hour time mark to put into something. Mm. I'm going to start my 10,000 hours on, on, I decided on commenting, but not for, I'm not going to start for three years. So <laughs> eight years. <laughs> world, world be on watch. 
I'll set I'll set an Outlook reminder. <laughs> Eight years. Check in with Jess. Yeah, prayers have come to fruition. Um, another thing too I wanted to offer. I mean, we have about ten-ish minutes left, but something we've been doing because we've changed up our recording and um, the time of COVID to do these live recordings and then post the podcast after is that anyone watching it live can post in questions. So if anyone's watching live, feel free to, if you have any questions for Amy or Jeff, um, you know, go for it. I, we have 10 minutes. Talk starts. <laughs> it's, weird, it's weird doing these live ones because we're recording it for a podcast or I'm sorry, the video because we're recording it for a podcast. So I have to remember that people can't see like the facial expression or, Good. you know, that's it. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> While people so, are waiting for the questions to roll in, I was thinking this uh, mentality in the workplace of yes and, it reminds me of Marie Forleo's Everything is Figure Outable, which is something Jess and I incorporated into our business culture. But it's that idea that if you want something, first of all, you got to figure out if you really want something or not. Because oftentimes we say, I, I can't go to that event. I can't uh, learn a new skill. I can't meet with this person. I can't communicate what I want. It's not that you can't. It's probably that you won't, that you don't want to. So what is it that you really want to do and then everything is figure outable we can take 15 minutes of every day to to think about what are the things that i said at the workplace today using the phrase no but or no i know but or no how many times did you uh receive things in the no fashion and how can tomorrow or in the next 15 minutes you turn that around into a yes and phrase in the workplace no, I don't want to talk to that guy because it's just going to end up in a confrontation and I can't deal with it. Or is it, I don't want to talk with that person because I don't want to invest my time and energy in this growth opportunity. Why do I not want to invest my time and energy in a growth opportunity? That doesn't make any sense. I definitely do want to do it. I'm going to tomorrow go talk to this guy that I didn't want to talk to. And I think that that scales in the workplace. And, and when you have a leader like Jeff and Amy in the workplace living that and doing that, doing that makes it that and others see it and will catch on. What are like, Amy, what are some of the, the ways that you've consciously chosen to get away from no, but I feel like it starts with like the inner dialogue, the little voice in your head. So kind of being aware that there's a voice there listening to it. So you can kind of stop yourself. And then, um, you know, what I realized is, I don't like being open to letting others have the great ideas. To me, it's always felt nice to like, if you put a great idea out there, you kind of get the praise for it and all that stuff. Well, especially as a manager, it's not all about me anymore. It's about like lifting up my team. So I try to like open up the dialogue where I can so that they can come up with their great ideas. Um, and so to me, it, it, a lot of that is kind of, again, back to the inner dialogue, like calm yourself down, stop and listen. And let's see what kind of beauty emerges from just stopping and listening and really listening, like not in your head thinking about what you want to say next, um, hearing what the other people have to say and helping them shine, come up with ways that, you know, how you can support their ideas and their efforts and their yes and um, comments and stuff like that. So for me, I kind of have to step out of myself um, and just be as present as I can. Yeah, for me, and if, if somehow any of my employees hear this, I apologize if I'm if these are more aspirational. But these are things I, I at least try to <laughs> Exactly. Find. Like, we sound like perfect managers. We're, we're uh, learning as we know, go. Just, just talk just to me. me. I don't know about you guys. Uh, so I kind of break it down to two things, I think, or a few things. One is that, so I was in sales. I have not been in a formal sales role since the beginning of 2014. So I've been in a formal leadership role for almost seven years now. Math, I don't know, whatever that is. The marketplace, the consumers, it's different, right? Like 
as technology has expanded, as your cell phones and your smartphones have become that much more, um, you know, stronger and capable, just everything in the marketplace has changed. So for me to say, as I'm working with reps to say, well, here's the way I did it. Here's the way you need to do it. It's not realistic. So for me, I've really realized I can talk about the things that I know from my level. I can talk about things when I was at your level, but I can't talk about you at your exact level right now because that wasn't me. I didn't have that exact experience. So I need feedback on what my reps are hearing and what they're struggling with and what they're having success with. Because for me, I, I can't do that. I, it's hard to make impact if I'm not hearing those things from them because then I have to then take those things from our senior level reps and say, how do I spread this knowledge across the rest of the organization so we're holistically as, as, as successful as possible? The other part of it is there's there's so many ways to define leadership. And there's a few ways I define it. And it's that my employee's success is my success. My employee's failure is my failure. One of the best books I ever read was this book called Extreme Ownership. And it's about, I believe, these Navy SEALs. And they're talking about like surges they did in Baghdad. And then them in the office space. And then how they all tie together. So, A, you're reading and you're like, well, my problems aren't really that bad compared to what you know, <laughs> True. what they were doing. So it's a little eye-opening. But this talk about everything that happens underneath you is on you, right? Because if you're, Brandy, maybe you didn't make that exact decision. Maybe you didn't say that exact thing to that client. Like, I'm upset, but it's your training. It's your responsibility. Like, the dime falls on me at the end of the day. And to me, the true test of a leader is not just how well they do. It's how many more leaders they create underneath them. It's influence. And if I know I'm doing a good job if the people below me are then having a trickle-down effect to either people that are below them or lateral to them. And it's so important to have that mindset of how do I inf- how can my influence spread in so different ways beyond the things that I'm actually saying? How do I give people the ability and the power to go do that on their own and carry on the my message or their version of that message to make people around them better? That's Jeff, are so you good. creating a leadership pyramid scheme right now? Is that what you're working on? <laughs> scheme Just is turn the, the triangle upside down. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally going to say that, Jessa, but not in a schemey way. In a good way. It's like that's service leadership. You're serving. It's a good version of trickle down. Yeah. It's, I know. It's the it's real like version. There's a notable leader who needs to read that book. <laughs> I don't want to get political. But mm. someone who said, it's not my responsibility who's in charge of a lot of people. <laughs> That's a scheme. I'll give him a call. I'll tweet it and I'll probably get a response. <laughs> yes. <laughs> tweet that book. Here's my scheme. Yes. Do it on Twitter. You'll get a quick response. Yeah, exactly. I, I really like that, though, that it's the service leadership because you're saying – um, well, firstly, you have to like accept the fact that if their failures are your failures, that doesn't mean that you're going to micromanage and hold them and control them because that's affecting your reputation. It means, all right, I'm going to let them blossom and shine and grow and give it a go and see where it leads us. And for that, that's the, in my opinion, the test of a true leader is somebody that's willing to accept the fact that they're going to have to let go, let missteps happen and see where, where things unfold because that's where the magic and the beauty shines. It's the leaders that go, okay, I'm responsible for all these failures of these people. I don't trust them. So I'm just going to ball them up and keep them in this tight little, this little ball of control. And I mean, that's not sustainable. Yeah. You got to know where your weaknesses are and then how can you find the right people to fill those blind spots for you? Um, it's, it's, and to your point of micromanagement, it's it's my mindset is fairly but not equally. If you're early on in your career, I'm probably gonna micromanage you. You don't have the tools. I gotta, I gotta like the way we always talk about is early on I'm gonna hold your hand, later on I'm gonna guide your hand, and then I'm gonna let go of your hand. But it's you, you kind of have to earn the right to get to those those stages. Yeah, earned never given. Amy, what are some leadership tips that you implement with your with your team? Oh gosh. Um that's actually probably something that I'm working on building. Um, 
kind of what I said earlier. I'm trying to bring as much to my, of myself to the team so that they feel like they can be themselves um, and give them the space to shine. Um, I think that's kind of what improv taught me is you're only as good as your team, like we said earlier. And so basically kind of putting myself out of the way a little bit and supporting them and their growth and not thinking about my own growth um, and thinking about, you know, what are their needs, leveraging their skills. Uh, that's kind of been like the, the biggest focus is like Jeff was saying, looking at their strengths and weaknesses, but really focusing on their strengths and saying, you know, what brings you joy in your job? And let's focus on that. And, and when I started doing that with the individuals that I work with, you know, there was just definitely an increase in um, responsiveness and projects were coming, you know, turning around quickly and they were happier. I mean, they were literally happier in their jobs. Um, and I also feel like as a leader, it's also okay to be vulnerable and admit I don't know everything and I need their support and X, Y, and Z. And I think they appreciated hearing that too, thinking, you know, nobody's perfect and admitting kind of where you are weak and seeing how they can kind of support you at the same time. I agree. I was recently in a, in a team meeting where we were considering going forward on this project or this thing. And I said, I'm not going to know everything. Like we're going to go into this meeting, but please expect that there's going to be times where I'm going to go. I don't know. And it's not like me, I'm not going to make up things just to please you and make me look smart. I don't know everything. I mean, I might, I might be a professional and an expert in some arenas, but that doesn't mean that I know everything. And the, to our earlier discussion about uh, differences in ages, I, I work with a team of a lot of different ages, all the way from uh, like in their 70s. Um, and I'm definitely the youngest person in the organization. And I have learned from my parents, the baby boomer generation, that there is wisdom and inherent value in listening to what they say. And also there's wisdom and inherent value in listening to what we say. Because Jeff mentioned earlier, we have totally different experiences in life. We might not have the same 12 years of professional career trajectory, but I, there's a lot of experiences that these other people haven't had that, that I want to be vulnerable with, share that, and see where it takes us together. Yeah, I, th I think that's well said. And I think um, those are all very good takeaways for leadership skills. And, you know, whether or not you're a leader yet or you're going to be, at, at someday you're probably going to have someone reporting to you in some one way or another. Or you're the CEO of your own life, right? Mm -hmm. That's what the Wealth Consulting Group said. You're the CEO of your own life. Well said, well said. Um, well, I want to say on that point, we're, we're right about at our time. Um, and so as you guys know, we do our our three key takeaways, our, our three-point landing. So, yeah, what are three key takeaways um, that you'd like to give to our, our listeners? This is improv, guys. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Jeff, you want to go? <laughs> yeah, sure. So my three takeaways are, it's one, get out of your comfort zone. Um, and improv, if you don't get out of your comfort zone, you're not. You're just going to be very limited what you can do. And it's so important to do that in life. You're going to limit yourself. Um, I think the second one is, is find ways to collaborate and have fun. Like, to me, it's a lot more fun to collaborate with someone because I may have an idea that's 70% is really strong, but I'm missing the last 30% and have unique perspectives on thing is going to make that idea that much stronger. And the last one is, is practice your craft. And honestly, as I think back on my time in improv, that's something I wish I've done more of where for me, because of my competitiveness and for me, it was like an outlet for everything else going on in life. I didn't want to take it too seriously because I just wanted to like, just go and naturally have fun instead of like putting work into it. But like, over the last few uh, months, I've had a little more time on my hands. I don't know about you guys, just to sit and think. And uh, for me, it's like I want to I wanna invest more in it because, yeah, I may take it a little more seriously and it may 
alter my mood in a negative way sometimes when you're facing that failure. But when you have those successes, it's going to be that much more fun. So for me, I think it's just really important to, to own and practice and invest in your craft, no matter what that is, sales or anything else. Well said. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Amy. Um, I mean, I agree with all of Jeff's takeaways. Um, the things that come to mind, I mentioned it a little bit already, but um, that it's okay to bring humor into the workplace. Um, kind of, and on that note, personally, um, another one is bringing the real me um, into whatever situation I'm in and trying not to be someone or something I'm not. Um, Cause I feel like we talked about earlier, people can see through that. Um, and I don't feel genuine. And then the people around me wouldn't feel, they wouldn't feel like I'm genuine. So bringing the real me. And then um, the other thing is, um, you know, for me, it's kind of like, you don't have to be the star of the show or the funniest one at all times. Um, it's also really rewarding to support others and kind of be part of that team and lift them up when they need it or just sit and listen and be, you know, that support for someone. Yes. Thank you guys. These are all great reminders. And I actually really needed this conversation. <laughs> things, all the skills that we learned in improv and, and how we can use them day to day. So thank you guys so much for your time. Thank you, thank you guys. This was so much fun. fun. Yeah. All right. Send it, Jessa. Thanks for listening and visit astellar.co. That's A-S-T-E-L-L-A-R dot C-O for reference materials from the podcast and to connect with Jessa and Laurel. Foxhole Studios specializes in audio production and can work remotely to meet your audiovisual needs whether you live in San Diego or not. Getting a podcast started? Contact the team at info at foxholestudios.com for any and all inquiries.